Welcome back to Burger Bounce. Today we've got our Christmas special episode and we're going to be talking to food writer, broadcaster, bakery and cafe owner, Tim Hayward. We're going to be chatting about all things festive, food, traditions, and we're going to be speaking to Tim about the role he played in the very beginning of Steak and Honour. Hi Tim. Hello. <laughs> um, thanks for coming on for this lovely festive Christmas special. Are you feeling festive? Oh God, um, I suppose I am. I'm starting to get a little bit sort of jingly jangly. Uh, I, I don't know. It's been such a, it's a strange couple of Christmases and frankly I've quite enjoyed it. It's been really nice. A bit more low-key. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, a bit more low-key. Um, Liberty's cooking Christmas lunch uh, this this year, which is going to be great. Wow! It's the first time I've been able to completely hand over, and uh, and I, I love it. I love the idea. So she's getting all prepped up for that. That's <laughs> amazing. How old is she's eighteen? Oh my gosh! I know. I, I, know. I remember her being she was tiny, tiny. Yeah, when you first met her. Yes. Yeah. Well, she'd yeah. been about ten or nine yeah, or ten. Right. Yeah. Oh my god! Mm. So yeah, amazing. Hand the reins over. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. I've been training her for years, so she's going to be good. Is your tr- <laughs> is your tree up already? No. No, uh, it's where's the the tree? Um, it's, well, Christmas is strange because I was ill last Christmas. Yes. And I'd just come out of hospital, and, uh, and the one thing I got home, and they um, they bought a ridiculous tree, Like it's really really stupid. You have to bend it over to get it into the house. <laughs> and it's plastic, and it's got the lights already on it, but way too many lights. It's like the tree of lights. And I said to her at one point, like, "What is that thing? How did that get there?" She said, "Oh, I don't know. We all felt a bit strange because you weren't there, so we bought a big tree." But they like, panicked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What can we do? <laughs> that's it. So there's a big tree. That's lovely. And and then there's the and yes. So I'm I'm starting to look forward to it a lot. It's, it's going to be it's going to be good fun. I put our tree up. Well, I decorated our tree last night. We mm. got it at the weekend. We have a, a real tree, um, and it's always bigger than we want. Yeah. Standard. Go. A small tree this year. We come away with a big tree. Yeah. Um, but I'm not one of those people that lets my children help. Oh, no. So I decorated it when they're in bed, okay? <laughs> and it was go- it's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. And then my children woke up this morning and I got shouted at by my three-year-old because I decorated the tree while she was in bed. No. So um, that was... All of them weren't happy about it, to be honest. But for me, for my sanity and stress levels, it's just so much it's easier so, if I just so do it. But you guys go out and... Choose one in a field, yeah, don't you? Yeah, I've seen you yeah. posting that before now. Yeah. That's really nice. I love that. Yeah. I do love it. Um, and our friends own the farm, so yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's really um, yeah, it's really nice for us. And I that's, do love that whole kind of thing. But I am kind of precious about the tree. It's that's just my thing. Good. I love yeah. it. I love doing yeah. it. Um, the only thing that was missing, and I, I'll say this now at the beginning... Fitzbilly's mince pies are the best mince pies, hands down, <laughs> ever. I've even got it written down here on my notes. Um, and I was like gutted, because I do like to have a mince, you know, yeah. all that kind of festive yeah. stuff. Didn't get any. Oh, no. So I'm going to get some definitely from yes. Click, it, Click It Local, do them. Yes, they do. Absolutely. So, Bring them to your house. There you go. I'm doing that. I'm going to do it. Um, so what I would like to talk to you about mm. is you were quite integral in the beginning of our business. Um, whether you realise that or not, you, you and Fitzbillies mm. and, your, and your family kind of work. So for the listeners that don't know, Leo worked for you at Fitzbillies when you, you, you hadn't been open that long, no, had you? No, I think, he was our, I think he was our second chef. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was. Um, and, and, and truly, truly brilliant and really, really inspired. Um, but it was a funny time. I think when we first came to Cambridge, 
was, we were very London. And, and I, That's and, what we, but we'd come from London. Yes. So we then were like, do you know, sorry to interrupt. No. Honestly, I used to commute, I was commuting then. Mm. And, uh, and I remember getting either the Standard or the Metro, and there was a write-up about Fitzbillies mm. in it. And I said to Leah, we need to go here mm. because of that reason. Like, it's, mm. it's a bit like what we used to go to, where we used to go to in London. Yeah. And that's what it felt like for us coming from London. And that's the reason we, we went there and had dinner. I, I think we, we pretty much cruised the sort of, I've heard people refer to it sort of sarcastically as Hampstead on Cam. And <laughs> it's really funny when you get on the train these days, down to London, there's a train, there's a Brighton train that goes through, you know the one? Yeah, yeah. And it's got no uh, sort of corridors between the carriages. And what they've done is, is as you stand there holding the, 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 the rail and you look up above the door, the map for what is effectively a suburban line out here has been done the same way as the tube map. And those trains are designed so you can stand for the entire trip. And it's kind of they're conspiring to make us look like we're at the end, the outer edge of the London <laughs> thing. But that's all happened since, since we got here. Yeah, yeah. When we arrived, it was, it was still really sleepy. Um, Leo was involved in when we did dinner. And I think at that point, it was, it's a great object lesson, I think, for anybody moving to a, a, a town like this. Everybody, you know, everybody we knew, all the terribly middle-class people, said, oh, no, no, we, we'd love a little brasserie, just a simple place doing lovely stuff, and local ingredients. To, you know, we opened it, and they all came once. And then, you know, they were far too busy sitting at home watching the Italian play with the dogs. Mm. And, and, you know, it was, it was really, really difficult, even at that stage, mm. to get people out of their houses in Cambridge in the evening. Mm. And I think... I think it was what was most exciting about Steak and Honor when it started was it was it was a, it was ahead of its own curve. Mm. You know, it was it was. I don't think Cambridge was ready for street food in mm. any way whatsoever, mm. and it actually put itself in there. And it, it, it obviously was tough at the beginning, mm. but people came up behind it and thought, actually, mm. that we can go out in the evenings. Mm. We don't have to stay at home and groom the dog or, mm. or you know play in the garden with the children or mm. watch box sets. You know, mm. we can mm. actually do it. It's um, funny though because I love those those dinners. I obviously we mm, went several times for dinner mm, when you opened at the beginning. Um, I remember you telling us about the fit out when we went once um, before Leo was working. You were telling us all about the fit out. You were on the door at that point working yeah, yeah. in a sin mm. and about the pudding bowls for lights right. and yeah. all of this kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and I remember it was so nice because Rosie was obviously doing the food, mm. and I even remember the. the, the the exact thing I ate the first time we came, yeah. uh, which was the Kiev, you know, her Kiev with yeah, the creamed yeah. spinach, yeah. I think, with it. And oh, fantastic. It, gorgeous, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Um, and it, it was it was really lovely. Mm. It was a really lovely environment, yeah. I, I always thought, there um, at night. Um, yeah. and, it, and it felt like something was happening around us. And I think we've we've basically sat and ridden with it. All mm. kinds of people who now run places in Cambridge work with us at various times. Yes. And, and it's been really lovely be part of it yeah um I, I don't think we started it or led it or any of that sort of stuff we simply came in at the right at the right time and, and rode with it as it happened mm. and now i mean i don't i don't do reviews of cambridge restaurants by choice mm -hmm. um very very few restaurant reviewers have anything to do with the industry mm. um and those that do are often fairly crooked about it i always feel and for me it's like Mm. I, I can't go in a national paper and be and be nice or nasty about anybody in my in my hometown. Yes. Without having a meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I have been asked to do a um, the FT sort of international section that said, "Will you do a roundup of Cambridge for foreign visitors?" 
And I just said, oh, no, 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 good one. Actually, Jesus, I really could. Because there's a load to write. Yeah, na- as in like yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I could do that. Do yeah. a good 1,500 words on yeah. all the cool places there at every single level. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got really interesting stuff. I, mean, I know we, we theoretically had Michelin before we arrived. Um, but it's almost felt like that's kind of a side... Yes, but yeah, I know. I, I know what you mean. I mean, um, I did a podcast with Daniel Clifford a couple of weeks ago, mm. and I went to Mister House, and it was brilliant. And he mm. was he was great, and I could have sat there for ages talking to him, and talking yeah. all about his career. But I know what you mean by it. It kind of runs alongside it. it it's 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 its own animal in a way, isn't it? Kind of yeah. Michelin star yeah. style food yeah. that isn't always obtainable to a lot of people. Mm. Therefore, it does feel kind of yeah. If you were to write about Cambridge. You could write about Mitzvah House, of course, mm. but there'd be a whole host now of other places yeah. that are more accessible, affordable, and really good. I think that there, are a lot, there are a lot of questions about Michelin at the moment, and I think one of the things it's done is it, it sort of advertises to an international crowd or a particular high net worth crowd, and most of the places that are succeeding outside of the, the comparatively few that are in city, the major city centres, mm. are doing it by being with rooms or with a commuting distance mm-hmm. and so on and so yeah. on. It's, it's special occasion. People drive there. Yeah. Driving to and from a restaurant for the rest of the world is a really weird thing to do, but, but for them it's a, yeah. it's a thing. Um, and it's just a, it's a, it's a side thing. You know, it's, 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 it's nice that it's close to us. Uh, but but I, I mean, other places that, that won't come onto Michelin Radar in town mm. are much, much more interesting to me, mm. I think, at this, at this stage. And I think that most of the reviewers, people very often sort of yell at you and say, you terrible metropolitan asshole. You, know, mm. you just you know, go to all those three-star restaurants all the time. Um, if I hadn't gone to one three nights ago, <laughs> which I'm probably not going to write up because it was so awful. Oh, wow. Um, I would probably, I'd probably say it's been about, it's been about two years since I went to a star restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I checked for another story when I was making the assertion and I couldn't find anybody else who'd written one up for months and months and months mm. um, you know it, it, they're there they do their thing it's yeah. a hygiene fact the food would be great what is that to say it's like not yeah, yeah. Um, so I, 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 I do think Cambridge has really come on in the area that we need and mid-range is wrong because that just places it at one space it's everything between yeah. the greasy spoons that are dying and the Michelin that's unobtainable. Again, everything in between, we've got I, I, I think, but I love that though, because there's um, a greasy spoon, as you mm. will. There's one in Ely High Street, Street Cafe, it's called, and there's one in Newmarket. Mm. The fry-up's phenomenal. Mm. It's one of those ones where you go, I love number two, mm. extra slice, whatever. and I love yeah. stuff like that. I think, uh, that's why I think there's a place for everything, like we're saying, there's a whole range of stuff. You can go there and have a cracking breakfast, and then if you want to, go somewhere in the evening yeah. and, and have a, three, a two-star yeah. meal. Like, I, I love that kind of range that's, that, that's here. But there's a story in The Guardian this week that, that the greasy spoons are just dying out completely. Um, and it's not the pressure of rent and things like that. Many of them are you know, owned originally by first-generation immigrant families. But it's um, it's that nobody wants to eat the full fry. The, ch- the, ch- like the, the choice. The People are making choice. choices yeah. that they're going to make. We've yeah. made it so unhealthy and yeah. so wrong. Um, and I've, I've, I don't have... I mean, I write about them in a muscular way, but I don't get up every morning and have a, a, no. a, a front practice. It'd be ridiculous. I'd die. <laughs> um, but I've always, like, from the very first time I wrote one of those, like, oh, fat dribbling down my chin yeah. kind of pieces, yeah. I was, you know, doing it occasionally as a massive treat mm. and then take the rest of the day off. Mm. And lie down. <laughs> and go to sleep. Go back to bed. A big sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what was so lovely, you were saying 
just then about um, Fitzbillies at that time, so this would have been like 2012, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Um, that there were so many people that were kind of like incubated there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, what was hugely appreciated by yourself and mm-hmm. Alison was the fact that you allowed people to do that. Mm-hmm. There was never this, well, you work for us, you can't do that, you can't do X, you know. Oh, no. Jack was there, yeah. we, Leo was there, you know, we know there's other people that went on to open cafes that were working for a house at the time. So mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, so much credit to you guys because without... Without that, none of these businesses would have gone up, would have would have kind of gone on to well, be as they it's are. Really, it's really kind of good to say so. I mean, I think for me it was it was very much that we. I was at that point. I think I just started writing for the FT, but I was writing for the Guardian a lot as well, and I was also doing the food program for Radio Four. And pretty much everywhere I went, there were thousands of bright young, usually couples, mm. deciding they were going to do something in this area. Mm. It was it was the only growth area. I mean, we were coming out of the last of the great meltdown recessions, and people were, you know, that was back when you could still buy a Citroen truck, you know, oh, with, yeah, with, with, yeah, an, yeah. with an engine in it, that yeah. actually could work and weld it back together, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then now you can't, you know, you, you can only buy them pre-done up or rent yeah. them from a lease company. Yeah. And, but that stuff was possible. And yeah. there, were, there were venues people could go into. And I think we just felt that we were getting people in the three or four years before we wouldn't have had come in mm. to work. Mm. People were coming in who were brighter than they'd been before. Mm. They were more ambitious. Mm. They were more interested in food, actually. It wasn't just a sort of grinding, grunt job. And when they were coming in, we were saying, yeah, these, these guys are great. They're brilliant. They'll be there for about a year. We know they'll move on because... And, that, and you know, once you accept that, that's terrific. It's lovely. You can't try and hold people to you. Or you yeah. end up with the wrong sort of people, actually. Yeah. Um, I think I think it was great. For, I know for us, we definitely look back at it as like it's halcyon days. Mm-hmm. They were like just lovely yeah. times where you know your support, your and Alison's and Fitzwilly's support really allowed our business. You know, we started it whilst he, Leo was obviously still working mm-hmm. with you, and you know then he went part time and mm-hmm. gradually we kind of reduced the hours. But have but for us as a family with a new business mm-hmm. and a new baby because the baby was yeah. tiny. Yeah. Um, Having that support and also the financial support that we knew that we could take the van out, but also three days a week he was Ooh. still working yeah, yeah, was huge yeah. for us, and it really, really helped and allowed us to flourish and to move forward. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear. It. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely thought. I think when we we did have a, a, a thing at the very beginning, and Al hadn't worked in any kind of restaurant catering before, and I had for years. And the one thing I said right at the beginning is that you've got to realise that these are not our kids. Mm. You know, they, they, these are you know bright, beautiful young teenagers coming in and being full of smartness and ambition. We've got our own one of those. She'll turn up later. She'll be yeah. great. Don't worry about it. That's going to be fine. <laughs> She'll be making Christmas dinner in ten years' time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But you know, you, you can't fall in love, mm. and you, you, know, you, you can't get involved in everybody's. You know, we've had people with all sorts of other you know, real difficulties in their lives. I mean, you can't get into that. And actually, what's weird is I think particularly over the last couple of years, as as Covid's closed in. I think we just said, "Oh, screw it." They are, you know, they are our family. That is, that is mm. that's how it is. Mm. And it's, 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 it's got, it's got sort of a lot. I think it's moved, it's moved on because I don't think there's the, the, I don't think there's a huge draw out of the other end like there used to be. Yes, uh, um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a sad thing about our yeah. industry, and there's a huge thing going on at the moment about where it's going to, where it's going to go. I don't think anybody has the answers. Mm. Um, I think it's a bit scary. Uh, not because I think it's going to be terribly, terribly bad. I just think it's probably going to be really quite different. Yeah. Uh, and if people don't get the, if they don't come into the, with the resilience to do really quite different, 
yeah. um, it's it's going to be difficult. And certainly, last couple of places I've been to that were, you know, had serious fine dining pretensions going in. You know, I remember there's one of them who's done brilliantly because they just started flipping pizza and burgers all the way through it. Yeah. And they're marvellous, but they haven't learned from that. And they want to go straight back to the first opportunity they've got. So they come out of it, bought all the stuff and everything else, they're about to go into another lockdown or slowdown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to die. They literally can't do it a second time round. And mm-hmm. isn't that, you can't be what you were. You must, you've got to be able to go with the flow and flex. And yes, yeah. Everybody's had to accept home delivery. The, um, the real thing I think I'm seeing with, with the, uh, there's a lot of FT guys working on this at the moment. Um, I kind of can't be asked to go ahead. Mm. It's a really, really weird thing. You have to. I think there's an acceptance generally that we sort of there was a, there was a food renaissance that started around 2000, mm. and it took off. And I think a lot of us, myself included, really believed that it was like. Christ, sleepy old England, we're catching up with the rest of the world, this is great. We're going to be like the Italians, never stop talking about food. We're going to be like the French, it's going to be marvellous, because that's how it always should have been. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the last few years, particularly during COVID, I've started to think something a bit different, which is kind of, actually, maybe it's not the way it was, it's really supposed to be. Maybe that's how those people are. Hey, the Dutch never talked about food much, and it's not like they're going to. Why? It doesn't have to be that way. Mm. And I do wonder if... if it became over-fashionable and an over-obsession for the English. Yeah. This, in, this idea that you could go out for a mid-range meal five nights out of seven, and that was the way it was supposed to be. And actually, unless we say, you know, there's a possibility that's not the way it's supposed to be, guys, mm. and maybe not. Maybe not every single failing pub has got to be turned into a gastro pub because mm. people aren't, they're not going to be bothered to go. Mm. Unless we make it into an experience when mm. people do go out, well, why would they? They'll go home in the evening. It's nice and warm. The heating's on. But I also think it's what's interesting when I've spoken to other people in the podcast, when we've spoken about when they grew up and, and, mm. um, and when they grew up. And other than I think maybe one person, most people d- didn't go out to eat. No. So, and, and I'm talking to people, so well, I'm like, I, I was brought up in the 80s, so it's kind of around that time. 80s, early 90s, all mm. 90s is kind of the, the, the mm. time. And we just didn't go out to eat. It wasn't a weekly thing. If we went out for Sunday lunch, it was for Mother's Day, it was a big deal. Yeah. We dressed up, we went out, we behaved ourselves, mm. we had a nice pub. But that was the extent of us going out in you know, the late 80s, mm. kind of early 90s. Um, and I think these days, and we're the same with our kids, mm. you know, um, we don't go out that much, but definitely hugely more than we ever did. Mm. Um, and I think... That's interesting in itself. Like now, it's just it's it's the norm that if you do go out and eat out three, four times a week, like that's okay. Mm. Whereas you know, thirty years ago, mm. you know, generally it was kind of unheard of. People yeah. wouldn't be going out that frequently to eat. I'm, I'm, I'm a good decade older than you, but certainly the first restaurants I remember going to were the annual uh, Bernie Inn. Oh yes, steak and chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Prawn cocktail, uh, Black Forest Gatto. You say, this is like my, I feel like I'm stuck in this era. I love that. <laughs> my dad was such a big fan of Bernie's. He used to love them. And he even fondly remember the flags they used to put in the steaks, did they? That yes. said, well done, yeah. or medium yeah. rare. Almost invariably well done, to be fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done, well done. But, um, and all of that, yeah. And um, yeah, but again, it felt like it was a, an Absolutely. event. Irish coffee for the lady at the end? Oh, lovely. Oh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, there's definitely change, I think, in how people... But also, I don't know whether it... 
you know, financially, but it was it meant more. You know, like nowadays, there's there is so there's a, such a wide range of of restaurants. So I feel like you know, years ago, there obviously wasn't. So it was either you chippy or you know you'd go out to eat at a restaurant. And I think now there is just so much more choice that you can eat whatever you want any day of the week, whenever whenever you want. Everything's so available all the time, um, which is good, you know, in some respects, but. I think it does, it does, it breeds, it's the same as all this on-demand stuff on the TV, doesn't it? You know, I might sound like I'm being old, but my kids say they can't even watch the adverts because mm. they get annoyed and I'm always, mm. there was four channels <laughs> when I grew up and two had adverts. Yeah. Children's TV was on for two hours a day. Yeah. Like this kind of, like just having everything now and it's the same type of thing, you know, that this binging box sets and, you know, it's, it's kind of the same, it's just that now you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it, right now. It's, it, I've got a, a piece floating about at the moment about, um, I think we, my generation of parents seem to feel that they've often got a, a generation of picky eater children and they're very worried about them. A few years ago I did a, 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 a piece on, on chefs and what they'd eaten as they were children when they were growing up. And pretty much all of them. And Heston Blumenthal, I think, was eating nothing but pot noodles since he was 23. Right, so this is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so funny, yeah. actually, yeah, but, yeah. But actually, the, what really got me was I, I started, sort of, I, was, I did a lot, I interviewed Lib a lot, and I was really interested by the idea of how she, how she ate and how she got into the different things she got into eating. And she said, it's a really interesting thing. If you say to me, would you like, I don't know, fish with a cream sauce? You know, because that's a thing, and you know, you've never had it before, it might be quite good. And you like cream sauces, and you like fish, you might like this. And she'll make this noise, and it's kind of, yeah, no. And it's sort of, she's considered it for a second. And because she has the option to not, well, why would she? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's, that's terrible, that's awful, privileged, ghastly Western child behaviour. How mm-hmm. can you possibly be like that? I thought, actually, that's exactly how my life is. Because when I plan the meals for the week or the next day, or if I'm going out for dinner, if I'm choosing something from a menu, I can't think of a lot. I mean, I like pretty much everything because mm. I was because it's my job and because I was forced to as a kid and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But actually, these days, I certainly wouldn't go in and order something on the menu I didn't like. That'd be stupid. I wouldn't buy something at the supermarket I didn't like. <laughs> Why? There's stuff I do like. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's always we haven't really looked at what choice gives us. We certainly haven't looked at how controlled our choice is. Yeah. Uh, I think B. Wilson's got a piece in The Guardian this week, a uh, long read. And one of the figures she has in it, which is just quite terrifying, is like 95% of the prepared food, not raw ingredients, but 95%, which are insignificant, by the way, statistically, 95% of the, the, the prepared food in the country is made by nine companies. That's just, that's just kind of terrifying. It's, it's yeah. almost, and those are the companies, it's not, it's not I suppose, some Marks and Spencer's theoretically manufacture their own, but... You know, Waitrose are buying their ready meal curries from the same company that Tesco are, mm. and probably the same company that half the curry houses are, mm. and certainly the same company that all the gastro pubs that have curry on the menu are buying it from. So that's why that's the kind of concentration that's kind of scary. Um, that's mad. Isn't and then it? they present that to us with choice. So when you go to a, a Weatherspoons, you know, you've, you, you've got food from all around the world, you've got massive choice, uh, and the price is driven unbelievably low. Uh, and the quality is, well, frankly, it's not terrible. Mm. And there's even a weird thing. I, I've, I've, it's something that I've, I've often 
get to when, when people get sort of sneery about, oh, God, I don't think my children have ever eaten a McDonald's. Oh, d- yeah. <laughs> and you, and you have think, they not? Have they not, really? Have, okay, well done. I don't know. Well what, done, you. Do you want a medal? Because, do you know what? It's not the most popular single item of food in the entire, on the entire globe because it tastes like shit. Or it's lumpy and spiky and it's got brown glass in it. Again, we've had, we've had, again, when I've done these podcasts, most people, when I say to people, so, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your favourite burger, which we will come to at some point, they don't usually say a Big Mac or a cheeseburger, but they will say, my first memory is a Happy Meal and yeah. my first memory is a Big yeah. Mac. Mm-hmm. And there is this memory and the mm-hmm. nostalgia and the t- mm-hmm. taste. It doesn't taste bad no. it tastes like a big mac do you know yeah. what big yeah. mac tastes yeah. okay you mm-hmm. know um and i think yeah i think it's really interesting like you were saying if your kids oh, my kids don't eat mcdonald's and you know whatever you want to do you do you mm. but to me i'm like mm. you know i was saying i think on another one now they do happy meals with fruit bags carrot sticks yeah, yeah. My kids have a bourbon chips. Yeah. I'm like, I, you, we have carrot sticks at home. We can give sticks. you fruit at home. Have a cheeseburger and fries and, and, a, and, a, and, a, yeah. and a toy. Like that's what we all want. That's what you want. Yeah. And yeah. and that's and they what spend, it is. They spend billions in finding that. It, it's not. It's not that they have research facilities doing this that worry that that sort of worries everybody else. I was so carefully designed to to tap into our subconscious needs. It, well, yeah, but it's not just, it's, it's just, it's evolved to be that way. Yeah. Because that's what people like. Yeah. And it's tasty and it's nice and it works. Yeah. I, 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 anyway, I'm going to start <laughs> on that. <laughs> I'm going to quickly go back. So, uh, yeah. so, as I was saying before, you guys were really integral in our business mm. when we started and we're hugely supportive. And our name mm. is derived from a tattoo that you have on your forearm. Oh, yeah. The only tattoo I have. The only tattoo yeah, you have. Tattoo. So we were hashing around <laughs> names, yeah. obviously, when we thought we are going to do this. We didn't know what names. And then, obviously, Leo started working with yourself. Obviously, you had your sleeves rolled up yeah. as you were working away. <laughs> um, and, obviously, saw your tattoo. So tell the listeners, what's the tattoo says and what's the little bit of history surrounding this? So the tattoo, it's a, it's a sort of double circle. And around the outside, it says, Beef and Liberty. And on the inside, it's got a very, very simple representation of a, of a gridiron. And it's, God, how, how does this start? It was a long time ago, I was doing a radio documentary about men meet masculinity and nationality. Yes, I thought of, it was something like that. Kind of the deal. And at that point, I was still very, very pro sort of British food and, and so on. And I was fascinated by the idea that we'd had this in our history, this thing that... It wasn't until maybe the, I suppose, post-Second World War when we started being rude about our own food. And certainly in the 18th century, people would travel all over, from all over the world to come and eat English food, usually in the grand houses or the gentlemen's clubs. Mm-hmm. And certainly our roast beef was our finest thing. I mean, we were immensely proud of it. And the, the John Bull character, who's supposed to represent English, the yeoman Englishman, He's a, he's a beef-eating man. He's a, he's, a, he's a gentleman farmer. Not even really a gentleman, maybe a yeoman farmer. You know, he's, got, he's got a spread, he's got, he's got good pigs, he feeds his family well. He's got a big tummy, you know. And that, it, that, that's, kind of, that's what the Englishman was, a yeah. kind of Toby Jug. Uh, Ruddy face. Yeah, God. exactly. Yeah. exactly and, you know, very much from around this area, the kind of Cambridgeshire, Lincolnshire, man, mm. that kind of thing. And I thought this was lovely. And I came across this thing called the Beefsteak Club. 
And the Beefsteak Club was uh, around uh, early 1800s. Um, and it was a bunch of sort of actors and politicians, there were only 12 of them, I think. And they used to meet in a little room on the top of the Garrick Theatre. Okay. And the man who owned the Garrick Theatre, I think it was probably John Garrick, it may have been, uh, he sort of started this club. And what they would do is they, they would get a gigantic beefsteak and they'd grill it on a griddle. And they had their serving grill on the griddle, to be fair. And then they'd drink loads of parrot uh, and they'd sing patriotic songs and they'd eat the beefsteak. And the point of the club, the way it was described was, you're a foreigner, you're Frenchman or you're Italian, you're Johnny Itai, will chop up their meat and, and put it in a gravy or a sauce. We don't need to do that because our beef is so good. And it was tied up with liberalism, it was tied up with the idea of liberty as well, personal liberty and uh, that kind of English libertarianism, which at the time was the opposition of people like you know, Napoleon and, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah. Um, it's kind of what we had instead of a revolution. So it was, I liked it, I liked the idea. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have the tattoo done, actually live on the radio. And, I uh, did not know that. Oh no, it was, very, it was a very weird experience. I've never had a tattoo, I didn't want one, I didn't want the happy thing. <laughs> I thought, okay, this because there was a lot in this about tats and about, you know, the, the whole going to Tori Molinos and wanting fish and chips and all that sort of nonsense. So is that, was that designed for you or is that an, the actual... This, this is the original logo of like the club. Of a crest almost, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which only had 12 members and somebody had to die to be a member. And so it's, apparently it's still going, but they haven't asked me to be a member, which is very sad. Oh, that is very sad. Good. Come on. Um, so I went to have a tattoo done. And it was a great, it was going to be a great bit of radio. Because I went in, got, you know, got into the chair, did the whole thing. And, well, you'll have done this because you're used to working with radio, but you're, 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 um, yeah, your brain is running about two sentences ahead of your lips, which is absolutely terrific. So I get into the chair and the guy starts the, the buzzer. Have you got any tattoos? Yes. Okay, so you know what this is about. So he starts the buzzer and I'm sitting there chatting and I'm saying, oh, that's looking very interesting there, the old buzzer guy, you know, buzzy buzz buzz, fine, fantastic. <laughs> and everything just went, boof. Uh, and it wasn't that I was fainting, it was the endorphin thing that goes through your body. And he was laughing his ass off the tattoo. He said, you can't do it, can you? He said this really interesting thing. He said, we chatted for, for a long time afterwards because I was going to do another program about tattooing. He said, tattooing men and women is really different. He said, men, um, you, they're, they're trained if they experience pain in any way whatsoever to withdraw from it. So the main thing you've got to do when you're tattooing a bloke for the first time is coach him to the fact that his brain's going to melt down but, and he's going to withdraw his arm. But do you know what? This was the same thing with taking blood. Yeah. So I, I had three kids, I had to take blood many times. Mm. No problem, mm. sit in the chair, back, yeah. she does it, goes. And they will always say that men yeah. are the worst yeah. at having that. Women will just walk in, get it done, yeah. go out. The men will be fainting, they'll be, you know, there's, it's, it's, and it kind of sounds like, like a similar thing. Like, no, but it, I mean, if, if you think about it yes, genetically over time, I mean, we, our, our, our muscles should tense up in response to any pain stimulus mm. and be ready to fight it off or run away from it or escape mm. from it. You guys have got one big thing you do in your lives where you basically got to, the pain's got to start and you've got to go with it for about 36 There's hours. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. It's got to relax into it. You're, yeah, <laughs> and relax into the pain is exactly what you know, men can't do in the tattooist chair. So anyway, so that was the, 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 the tattoo man. You've lose the whole charm, I think. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, the, the tattooing started, it was, it was quite, but that, that was how it went on. Weirdly, I later went to just oh, long, just after I had the tattoo. I, I did a, um, a sort of charity, I was a charity barman at a food bloggers event 
um, in a small rest, then small restaurant in Spitalfields called Hawksmoor. Oh, and um, then small. Then, then small. Yeah. Then, then, then <laughs> just one. And um, and later on, when they opened the Hawksmoor in Covent Garden, they had the same logo with the same slogan over the stairs as you go out. So it's one of my favourite restaurants to go to. But there's my tattoo on the wall. So right d- there. Did you have that before you had your daughter? Yes. So obviously your daughter's called Liberty. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you've got yeah. It's but it, but it was, nice. it, she wasn't named Liberty for Liberty. Weirdly, she was just Liberty. Liberty was the only name I think we could agree on. Um, I think. Al wanted, I wanted really sort of art college names. Um, and, and I think Al wanted really quite sensible names. And we were never going to agree. You know, um, uh, and fortunately it was a, a, a girl. Because if it had been a boy, she would, I think Al would have fought to the death for James. And I couldn't have done that. I literally <laughs> couldn't have done it. It would have had to have been a dash you know, And, and, and you know, we would never have agreed to divorce on the spot. And somebody said, I, I, I don't, there was one model called Liberty something. I think, and we only discovered her after Al had come up with a name. And, I, and she, yes, said, yes. she said, you know, we can call, we can call her Libby. Like, we can call her Libby. And I thought, yeah, I can always call her Burp. And also she's, she's got Al's last name, Liberty Wright, which I've always felt was a, a really good name with which you could be a pole dancer or the first female socialist prime minister of the UK. Both. So works I mean, both either ways. one works both yeah. ways. So she's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So that so you so yes, Tim's tattoo is beef and liberty. Beef and liberty. Steak and honour. Steak and honour. And yeah, so that was, was the yeah. you couldn't take it as it was, so we tweaked it. So, so, so that's but that's the inspiration. The, the other one I discovered was that at the same time it was it was nearly the tattoo. And you might want this for your next business. Um, there's a picks up pen. Picks up yeah. pen. There was a tradition at the time in the gentlemen's clubs that you would make a bet on something. There was a lot of betting going on, and apparently they bet on raindrops racing down the window or something like that. But one of the big bets was a rump and dozen. Oh, okay. and I think rump and dozen is a great name for a beef for a steak restaurant. And it's um, it, it basically you would the, the bet would be a, a whole rump of beef, mm-hmm. really good British beef, and a dozen bottles of claret. Oh, okay. I bet you a rump and dozen that my horse will beat your horse on a race to Newmarket, and that and that will be it, rump and dozen. That is cool. I like <laughs> that. Cool. It's yeah. good. Yeah. I think we should bring it back. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think we make men on the same model as we used to. We probably no. wouldn't pay. But, but I like that. It's a, it is a great name. Yeah, kombucha and some quinoa. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kombucha and quinoa. It doesn't have the same ring as rump and dozen. <laughs> I do love that, though. Rump and dozen. I thought you were going to say eggs for some reason, like steak and eggs. Also steak could work. Eggs. So Lovely. steak and eggs oh, and... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, so this is the Christmas special. So yes. I'm going to let's get into Christmas past. Mm. So you grew up in the 70s, is that correct? I suppose so. Yeah, I was born in 1963. So um, your memories are kind of late 60s, memories, early 70s. Memories, no, memories of yeah, late, yeah, yeah. 60s, 70s, so what yeah. did your Christmases look like back then? <sighs> we never seemed to have turkeys. Uh, it was always always chickens. But was chicken and beef. There was always a certain oh, really? thing Two. going on. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, just because different people had different different tastes, and it was a big uh, working class Bristol family, and we would all get together and and and, 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 and sing and have crackers and. Would it all always that stuff. be at like your house, or would you always go to like your grandmother's? You know, it was always always dance, always dance, and everyone yeah. just went there. That Everybody was it. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing that we 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 forget the the the, matri- the matriarchies. Um, you know, most of us, I think, of my age and older, would have grown up in matriarchies. 
Yes. Um, and, and, yeah. and you went to wherever Nan was. Yeah. Um, and there would be there would be one Nan who'd be and who rule the rule the roost. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You would, she would take no <laughs> shit. No yeah. 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 I love and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's bring them back. I think. It's yeah. A, my a, my grandmother was a bit like that. Um, we'd always go to, to her house. Mm. Well, not always, but most times we'd go to her house for Christmas um, in Scarborough, so mm. in, in Yorkshire, with my cousins. Said I'd always remember there being a big like eleven or twelve of us in the house. Yeah. And she made everything from scratch. Her food was like yeah. unmatched, but I mean, not fancy as you would imagine. I mean, she was from Jarrow in the northeast, you know, oh. um, members of the marches it's and all cool. that kind of thing. But she would make, you know, like this this sauce that you know, there's things that people make, and mm. you think I'm never going to taste that ever again in my life because mm. I don't know how she made it. She would make this onion sauce that was white with the tiniest little silver skin onions within the sauce. Yeah. And we'd serve it with, she'd have, not with the turkey, with gammon. So it would be a boxing day yeah. kind of lunch. Thick slices of mm. the gammon that she mm. had boiled and mm. whatever, baked a couple of days before. And this this sauce with these tiny silver skin onions in this white sauce. And I, it's, it's, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. And it's, kind know, of like, it's, really, it's, it's really weird. This, this comes up every year for me. Because I've never ate bread sauce or bread sauce is the most appalling. No, ghastly no. stuff. Bread sauce is like the th- that's well, my, that's the thing yeah. for me at Christmas. Yeah, but Al's taught Al's taught me this. She's, Good. She's taught me about bread sauce. I love bread sauce. Yeah. But the other thing, about the same time she was doing that, I came across sauce soubise, which is an old French one. I mean, it's not it's not that old. I suppose it's sort of. It was really popular with Victorian sauce because they like white stuff. Mm. But it's kind of not done anymore. And effectively what you do is you just sweat down onion in yeah. cream and, it, and then sort of blend it or put it, sort of put it through a sieve. Yeah. And it's absolutely delicious because it's got the sweet, long-cooked onionness about mm. it. But it doesn't change colour, it doesn't go brown, so mm. it's that kind of pulpy brown nonsense. And it's really, really delicious. It kind of sounds very similar. Well, I, so a, a couple of years ago, I, I, and I had to do it quietly, so I didn't know I was doing it because I would have been departing from the family recipe if I did. But I thought, okay, I'll post this sodding onion for hours and hours mm. and hours when there's two cloves in it. It used to be three, it's two now because I hate cloves because they taste like airwick. But that's <laughs> apart from that. So, you know, and I thought, do I sod this? That onion, I'm not throwing that onion away. And at the beginning, I thought, rang it out. And then I thought, no, I'm going I'm to do the whole blitz on this. So I, I, put a, I think I had a thermal mix on the bench at the time. I put it through the thermal mix. And it just was, and it became like cream without cream. And I used that to make the bread sauce. Oh, now I, oh um, that sounds. It could be, it that, could be near it. That's it? like a, yeah, you know, a yeah, melting pot yeah. red sauce and th- yeah. Exactly that sounds that. incredible. And there's a, there is a weird thing with silver skin onions because I think they've always come preserved. Mm. I suspect there were silver skins in brine that possibly yeah, I mean, your, I, your it, neck got. It's them. one of those things where mm. it would just arrive yeah. and it would be in. Uh, do you you know the um, stainless steel gravy? Oh yes, but it would be in that. Yeah. For whatever reason, yeah. not gravy. It would yeah. always be in that. So it'd be in this stainless steel with yeah. this cream thing, and it would. And even as a child, uh, you know, I I loved it, mm. and I guess it's you know it's got onions in it. But again, they were so sweet because yeah. they'd been exactly. cooked, and how it was done, yeah. it didn't taste like that. Um, but she, but it was the same. She would be cooking all day, and mm. she was very much the, you know, we'd all we all the watch was kind of by her. When are we eating this and when yeah. are we eating that and yeah. what's and she'd be there with the sandwiches or yeah. volavants yes. because oh, I, I I love a volavant 
Well, except we're, we're from Bristol, so it was a volavon, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> volavon. oh my god. Prawn volavon, or you could have it with toast toppers in it if you wanted to. With what? Toast toppers. <laughs> Heinz toast toppers. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. 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 Toast, I remember yeah. those. But they were, they were basically, they were, they were you know, the cream sauce. Yeah, I remember. Packed into little tins. How funny. There were two flavours. And there was a there was mushroom one, and there was a bacon. Sausage. There was the thing. Ham and cheese was in one. Yeah. The thing is, now you said it, I absolutely <laughs> ate this and remember it. No, don't think. Don't go back. No. I, oh. I, 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 I did a story a while back where I, I basically went back and got all those things that I'd loved as a child: shipham sardine and tomato paste, thyme brand meat pie filling, uh, salmon tin salmon, and all of them because they've all been desalted. Well, shocking. They're just really, really shocking. Oh. I mean, just appalling stuff. Sardine and tomato paste, on which, by the way, I lived for three years. When I was a, I was a kid, in, my family moved to Oxford. I went to a horrible school. And I think the only thing that kept me sane was packed lunch. But because it was keeping me sane, I didn't want to mess with it at all. So I had a sardine and tomato paste sandwich every, every day. single day for three days, for three years. I must have smelled like a fishing smack. But it was gorgeous, and I went back to try it. Same brand, same manufacturer, and the ingredients are about 85% mackerel. And there's two sardines in there, and, and no, no salt and no sugar, and it's so depressing. I know, it is though. <laughs> Just don't, don't go there again. No. You've, got to, you've got to leave this you've view, leave. haven't you? Yeah. The rose-tinted spectacles and that taste in your you mouth. cannot it's, go back. That's the thing. Yeah. And I think I could try and make my grandmother sauce, but I'm, I'm, it's never going to be quite right. She had lots of different things that she would make um, and never had recipes for them. Mm. And that, now they are kind of lost, I suppose, because mm. we don't know. She, makes a mar- she used to make a marmalade cake, um, which was like a Madeira cake. Yeah. But um, would have I don't know where the marmalade was in it. It had flecks of mar- you know of the, of the rind in it. Yeah, you minced that though. Really but it's not. Bread. It wasn't marmalade and no. bitter. Mm. And I, I've no. But it was my favourite, and I used to love it. I lived for a while in the deep south of the states, and then I moved to San Francisco. I loved both places so much, and I've, I've been back to both. And San Francisco was the first place I sort of revisited, and it was terrible. It was really sad. And I realised there that it wasn't being in San Francisco. It was being in San Francisco and being 23 and, you know, mm. just met my first wife and yeah. having a nice job. And, and, and it, was, it was lovely. It was mm. just, and it was that then and there and that time and you can't go back. I went back to the South a few years ago uh, on a book project and that was, I was like I'd never seen it. It was phenomenal. What the, just, what, it's, it's such just, a stark difference. Yeah, stark difference. Because mm. there, you know, it hadn't been quite as quite as happy a place to be then. And it's, it's so much about where it is and what it, you know, mm. and when. And so I, 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 initially, I think I wrote lots of, I did lots of pieces around that sort of nostalgia area. And now I think it's something you don't want to mess with. No, it needs to be mm. in. Just keep it in and have. It's mm. like when you see photographs. I came across one. Uh, someone had taken a photograph of the New Year's Eve table at my grandmother's house mm. of the buffet table mm. and you've got her old curtains and it's a great it's a, it's a film photo obviously mm. and um, the, the table posh tablecloth on and it the, the table had been extended of course, of course yeah, it was yeah. and it had all this stuff on and I, it's just even that to me is so lovely to look at because yeah. I can taste every single thing on that table mm. and I don't want to taste it all again because I remember what it all <laughs> yeah. tasted like and it was all delicious and it was your prawn volivance your mushroom volivance mm. 
Um, I don't even, you know, cheese and pineapple. The stuff that, mm, like, yeah. is, which, you know, delicious. But I, I love, in a way, I love the fact that someone took this picture. It's mm. like a real snapshot of New Year's Eve, you know, 1988. Bam, like, just but there. But it's still... Even at your, in your young years, you, what you're experiencing there is a, it's a social class that kind of no longer exists in a time period. I mean, yeah. it doesn't exist, but they, 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 exist, they exist differently. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, the matriarchy thing is, is no longer so strong. The families have moved all over the country. Yeah. Um, you know, we have, we have different kinds of relationships in families, so you yeah. have a lot more steps wouldn't be there, or, yeah. you know, your exes wouldn't be, wouldn't be, wouldn't be invited. Yeah. And, 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 and you're looking at a, a period almost at the, it's the very, very tail end of the post-war austerity bit as well. Mm. I mean, the reason for, I mean, what the fuck is the point of a volleyball in, in a house in, 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 near Jarrow? You know, yeah. it, it, it literally, it's got no, the cult, there's no cultural reason for it to have moved there, except for the fact that it's, an, it's a wonderful, attainable glamour that would be picked up from Family Circle magazine or Woman's Own or yeah, something like that. Yeah, she used to love those, like Bella. She used to love all those magazines. And sworn out and looked at and thought about and cared about. Yeah. And actually, the thing to me is, is when we're trying to build stuff for our own kids to want to remember, mm. it's actually going to be the things that we cared about yes. and wanted to make yes. the effort for. Yeah. So you guys... The absurd idea of driving to a farm and getting a Christmas tree out of the ground. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you getting up at night and decorating the tree in a way, those things are part of your mm. social curve. Mm. You couldn't explain them to your parents. Your children will love it, remember it, and won't be able to explain it to theirs either. Because mm. they'll be, you know, oh, do you know, when we, before we had I laser trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before the projector yeah. or the TV, like, you know, put one up. Yeah, it's we did the be... whole thing on Zoom because we're in our gas masks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly that. <laughs> um, but I do, I do love that. I love, um, I've got quite a good memory as well, so I feel like mm. I, I can really easily kind of think back to different times and, um, and tastes and things like that. And I, I just think it's a really nice thing to do and it well, kind of, have, it, we have visual memories as yeah, well, it's quite key yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah and I think it connects people as mm. well because I think as you were saying about the toast toppers mm. you know I haven't thought about those in probably about mm. 20 years yeah. but as soon as you said it it's there like yeah. wow you yeah. know and I, and I love that I love those, those kind of like interpersonal like connections that we all have yes. with those kind of yeah. things um so what are your favorite Christmas traditions what when it gets to December mm. or nearer Christmas Things that you really look forward to, like so. The, so the main thing for me is the gravy. Okay, I like the gravy. The gravy yeah. is important because um, I suppose I suppose it's, it's what it's what unifies everything for me. It pulls it all together. Mm. Um, and when I first started really getting interested in cooking, I got fascinated by stocks and mm. how they worked. And um, so I really would do work on the gravy in a big way. It is important, though. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. So I think it was five when she first said, uh, we were talking about Christmas, and she said, do you know what? If we didn't have the meat, I wouldn't mind, as long as we've got lots of roast potatoes and gravy. And I think I, 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 at that point... I think I thought, the yeah. nation agrees with that, <laughs> don't you? Yeah, <laughs> um, So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one. But it, it starts... I, I've got kind of a new Cambridge tradition now, which is very quite, which is quite weird. Oh, okay. I always, I always start the stock... I tried to start the stock for the Christmas gravy around the end of November. And it's around the end of November yeah. that Bob Hopper, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, Bob Bull from Bob Hopper turns off on my 
doorstep with a couple of his first partridges of the year. So I actually started with a GameStop bet, and then for the next, over the next couple, of, at the end of the, you know, the, the meal, I'll, I'll be sort of collecting stuff as people do, mm-hmm. and I'll have done a chicken, there'll be a chicken stock going on, and at mm-hmm. some point I'll do a big beef meal, mm-hmm. and then I'll do something, I'll just get a load of beef trim, and reduce some beef stock and so on, and start combining those things to refine it until it gets to Christmas. It sounds incredible. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, occasionally, because it's a good, proper, old-school Victorian stock, you've got to take it out and boil it up just to make sure everything's clean and good. Does it Taste also it. then solidify? Oh, it totally sets. Yeah. Totally sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then occasionally, you know, before Christmas, yeah, you put on bread, absolutely. By the way, that white sauce I was telling you about, the mm-hmm. semi-sibby, mm-hmm. semi-bread sauce, sets solid. You can cut it out in discs and put it on toast the following day. Don't tell me this. <laughs> It'll be great on a burger. You're like some kind of Christmas... Don't be, t- yeah, don't be saying this. I've been telling Leo all about this. This is what it's like. But so, so uh, yeah, the gravy. And then if there's any left over, which there rarely is, it, um, I do, I'll take it down again and make it into a demi-glass. So it's really, really rubbery. Mm. And I'll make that and cut that into cubes, put it in the freezer. And for the first half of next year, I can put drops of that back into other gravies. And it's very organised. It is. It is. Uh, it's slightly obsessive. But great, nonetheless. Yeah, I think um, sandwiches, Christmas, Christmas sandwiches, pretty Sa- much unbeatable. So what, so let's, okay, let's mm. let's go through this. What, bread-wise? Interesting. I've just done a book on bread. Yeah. Because I'd spent so much time working on sourdough and improving sourdough mm. and getting it better and better and better and worrying about all of it. But also, we're a... We're a sort of a family bakery, and yeah. you can't do an eight-pound sourdough miche and expect it to sell and people to love it. Mm. You know, you want a slice of that, and actually, I keep ten slices of that in a bag in my freezer, mm. and I get it. You know, if I want to do a particular sort of toasted cheese sandwich or something like that, I'll get some of that out. Yeah. But it's not always appropriate, so it's we really sort of wrap that. But I then, I then started getting into the whole thing about the breads we'd liked as kids. Mm. And I realised I don't care how poncy a chef you are, your memories, your best food memories, are going to be about stuff that's done with sunblast. Mm. And so I wrote a book about that. And it was it was really, really fun. I mean, I remember when we were really broke when we were kids. Mum did us, um, it was a, she called him uh, Dead Man's Eyes or something. And it was a slice of white sunblast cut into quarters fried in the bacon fat from the last time we had bacon. <laughs> and then there was a dollop of mash on top of it. And then you put your dirty little child thumb in the middle of the mash and made a hole and squeezed it full of ketchup. Sounds delicious. And that was tea. And it was lovely. It was really, really nice. But it was because of the bread. And then you get into the history of the bread and why the bread is the bread. So I think probably I would like to have, for a proper Christmas sandwich, I'd probably like something that wasn't the sourdough. Yes. But yeah. was, we, 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 do a, we do a sort of a general not very sour sourdough that's very good, that's more like a proper crusty country mm. tin should be with a bit of sour. Yes, on. you do a good bloomer. That's it. I've, yeah. Yeah, I've mm. had that on Cricket mm. Local before. Um, that's, that's, I think it's a good... And it's, yeah. it's, so, it's softer, it, it's a really good toasting loaf, yeah. good sandwich loaf. I, I think, I think it's, that's, that's probably what we're aiming for, which is a family loaf mm. for a modern family who knows something about food. And it's that kind of that yeah. kind of level. And I I really strongly recommend you people get it, slice it, and freeze it. Yeah. Because the other thing is, there's no point waiting around. It, they've got a really good shelf life because of the sourdough content. But mm. you don't want to. Why wait? Why let it go to a bit 
Brisbane soil, yeah, yeah, yeah. except for except for toast, which is obviously mm. So I think something like that, and then some 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 turkey or chicken. Yes, bread sauce. If there's any left, would be a great idea. Would you put that bread sauce in cold? So like smear that on the bread. Oh yeah, yeah, it works would. definitely. Works smeared on. Yeah, I don't know if I'd. I um, I'm a bread sauce fan. I I literally mm. love the stuff, mm. and I'll have it any which way. Packet, Coleman, anything. I'm there with a the spoon. I absolutely love mm. it. Um, side note: My dad's always also mm. a big fan of bread sauce. And one Christmas, I spent it with him, just me and him. And he bought some posh bread sauce, you mm. know, like in a packet. Yeah. He didn't make yeah. it, but it was from waitress or from a deli. Mm. And he was like, "I've got this really nice bread sauce. It's going to be great." Business. Now, my dad doesn't eat garlic. He doesn't like garlic. He yeah. doesn't eat it. So we baked this bread sauce on Christmas Day and tasted it. And I thought, it's, there's something, it's, it's not that great actually, yeah. Dad. Uh, and he's, yeah, there's something in it. So he gets the packet, looks, on the back of it, it says garlic powder or garlic. Yeah. Well, I can't bring that up now. If I bring <laughs> it up now, he will just say to me, why would you put garlic powder in bread sauce? Like it's this kind of now, like this Christmas thing yeah. where I'll always just add it in just to wind him up. Because in his head, it's like, it doesn't belong anywhere near it. And we, so it's just like, yeah, you'd never put garlic powder in bread sauce. But saying that, I love the bread sauce, but I don't know how I feel about it cold in the sandwich. Okay, so the bread sauce chapter in the bread book got out of hand because bread sauce got <laughs> so exciting. Um, what you want to do then is, you've probably got some ham laying around, right? Yeah, sure, so we usually do, yeah, 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 yeah. So you chop it up quite fine, stir it into the cold bread sauce. Yes. Then take little handfuls of it and roll it. And then breadcrumb them and deep fry them. Oh my dear <laughs> lord! <laughs> well, no, because it's, it's instant croquettes. Um, incredible! <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh my god! And if you've got some cheese left over or some prawns left over, you can do the same thing, you can do whole selection of them. Make oh. four times as much bread sauce as you think you're going to need. Oh! Okay, we're doing this. <laughs> I'm going to be listening to this back with my pen, yeah. like writing all these things down that we're doing at Christmas. And if you've got a toasting machine, you smear it on one side of the bread, yes. then you put some cheese on it, and then a slice of ham, and do the toasty. And that becomes your uh, crop monsieur. The toasty, the other thing that came out of the bread club, was, I forget what this was, a, this was a thing I picked up in the diners in the States. Um, instead of buttering the outside of your toasty, yeah. you mayonnaise it on the outside. Oh, okay. And the oil of the mayonnaise causes the frying, like the butter, mm. because it's got so much egg in it. You also get a very, very slight omelette crust on the outside. All of these <laughs> tips. This is incredible. I love this. <laughs> these are dirty, dirty, bad things. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, we like all of this. Um, I love that. So would you have cranberry, cranberry sauce? Where do you sit with that? Cranberry sauce is invariably extremely dull. I mean, now they, they produce tons and tons and tons of fresh cranberries, so everyone's making their own, which means it's either too sharp or it's too sweet. Mm. Um, and why would you not use cranberry jelly? I know what you're saying. I'm the same with mint yeah, jelly. Sure. I like yeah, a mint yeah. jelly as opposed to a mint sauce because mm. it has that sweetness, and it's, I just think it's like more interesting than a mint sauce. But literally, so, I mean, Chippers have been making this stuff for centuries. They do it really well, and mm. they're local. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make your own. I, but I, but I prefer red currant. Okay. I really prefer red currant if it's there. Um, that's also a great gravy ingredient. When, yeah. you're, when you're tweaking your gravy at the end, two things you need to tweak your gravy at Christmas. So you've got your juices coming off your meat, which you're going to add to your stock, basically. I'm actually right. salivating when yeah. we're talking about this. Yes, go but on. As, there's the last bit, which is the really key bit. Mm. You get some stack of spoons, mm. and you sit there working your way through. So you're going to want some, some pepper in it. That makes sense. Mm. You're going to want some salt in it, but you've got to be very careful with that, because obviously we always concentrated salt. Mm. You might don't know where you're going to be with salt. 
but then you've got the, 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 the sweet and sour elements, which the English never quite get right. It's not traditionally something we do very well. So you start by stirring in some red currant jelly, yep. which sweetens it. And then you're going to need sour, but don't use lemon juice, don't use vinegar. I collect the vinegar from jars of pickled walnuts. Okay. And I've got a tiny little squeezy bottle locked away in the back of my knees cupboard. And it lasts all year because this stuff doesn't rot. And it basically tastes like really, really, really concentrated vinegar, stroke, breast, and pickle. Ooh. And it's a little squirt of that balancing against the red currant jelly. Oh. It's where you end up with your... I love break. that. It's good. It's a good, good thing. What about stuffing? Interesting. Uh, I never do it inside... The, the bird? bird. No. no. Mm. Um, I think we've gone past that because it just goes so sludgy. Yeah, we've never done that. That has never appeared, even like my grandmother, my mum and my dad. Um, we've never done that. It's always done... Always on the side. Always on the side, And yeah. it's delicious. And mm. it's also, if you've got vegetarians, which is increasingly a thing that's going to yeah. be in large families, it's a really good way out. Uh, yeah. Good, but why not make a good vegetarian one? Mm. And the, the rest is, I'll tell you a terrible thing. My mum is still alive. She's lovely. She's down in, uh, in Dorset, in Christchurch. Uh, and Liberty loves to go down and visit her. And um, she went and she stayed for a couple of days a while back. And she came back and she was really enthused about this thing that mum had cooked. And it was uh, rolled, stuffed pork belly mm. with gravy. Delicious. Yeah, lovely, yeah. lovely yeah. thing. And, so I, and I said, mum, she won't show up about this. It's great. I said, what did you do? She said, well, I'm so sorry. She said, it was Paxo. And, 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 and she likes Vista. I said, Mummy, Joe, seriously? She said, Yeah, absolutely. And now Liberty wants, she wants someone to do Paxo on the side of the nice stuffing I make. I would happily <laughs> eat Paxo though. Well, I, I, again, I, I like a nice, I like a nice bougie stuffing with like big yeah. walnuts, it all, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, and whole cranberries and all of that in. But also, again, and I just think, obviously, not Liberty, I, I also, but that nostalgic yeah. Paxo I, kind of I gave, thing. I gave it the college try, I really did, and it came out like slurry and wallpaper paste. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a sage and onion stuffing backwards. I'm going to make old Paxo, but I don't think it comes in the pack anymore. It is a useful thing for sort of padding out. Mm, but, mm. But you know, every time you pad something out, basically what you're doing is putting some MSG back into it. Why well, don't just have a shaker of MSG in the kitchen? Yeah, right? just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll sort you right. Done. Yeah, on anything. Yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. just comes through. There you go. Bingo. <laughs> And what about sprouts? Where do you sit with the sprouts? Oh, I love them. Do I really, you? Really love them. Do you just like steam them, or do you like make them a bit more fancy with like bacon and chestnuts and things well, like that? It's it's a weird thing. So I I'm really sort of I think when I started writing, there were very very few. There were all the the, the restaurant critics were male, but none of the writers about food were men, and it was very very mimsy. It was all very middle-class ladies talking about their holidays in the Mediterranean or, um, you know, it was everybody banging on about bloody Elizabeth David all the time. And I, I was kind of sucked into that nonsense once I discovered Len Dayton. I was, <laughs> I was kind of sucked into that rubbish. And that whole thing about, you know, vegetables should be so crisp and crisp and green and mm-hmm. hardly touched at all. Mm-hmm. And I had it for years and then one day I let the sprouts go for a bit. <laughs> Were you feeling really naughty that day? Like, I'm going to do it. I thought I'd done stuff. I'm going to do it. It wasn't even intentional. <laughs> oh, God, I've done a bad thing. I just thought I should go and lash myself yeah. with wet leaves or something. And a, and a, a simple olive oil dressing. Yeah. And, and, and I, used, I got a little tester skewer or something. I poked a skewer. And it went through with very, very little resistance at all. 
and everybody loved them and I loved them and they were the best brands I've had for years and years and years. And I thought actually, no, we, we need to question all these things all the time. Mm. And actually there was a reason that, that by the time I started getting my grand sprouts, they were balls to death, they were balls to a slurry, they were horrible and everything stank on them for well, weeks. Yeah, they horrible. Were, but they don't need to be raw, they've got to be cooked properly so they've got something going for them. Mm. Obviously you put butter in at the end as you toss them. Mm. No point in bothering with bacon, that would be too rich. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the gravy for it over the top. Yeah, yeah. For that. Um, but I just, when kids are growing up, I don't know if you've discovered the same thing, quite a lot of them go crazy for fruit if you let them. Yeah. And then they, but they don't touch the more challenging vegetables. Mm. An enormous number of kids left to their own devices will go really heavily for brassicas. Mm. And I don't think Lib's eaten an orange to this day, mm. but she will eat. The other day, what was it? She, uh, oh God, raw kale. I love it. Oh no. What? No. Oh, oh Dad, there's Cabernet Nero in the supermarket. Lib, that's, that's hardcore stuff. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be a real cabbage lover or possibly a horse. Yeah. No, absolutely. And you know, you cook it back to the point. Mm. But I think the other thing that kind of spoiled me was when I was living in North Carolina and Tennessee particularly, they had greens there. Yes. And yeah. greens are, they're kind of undistinguished. The nearest thing you get to them here is the rare occasion we get mustard greens or sprout tops. So they're its own thing. So greens is things. actually yeah. its own, yeah. it's an actual vegetable, yes. not just a generic term for green leafy. It, it's, it's, a, oh. it's, it's one of those things, it's, covered, it's, it's one of the, the slave foods. Mm -hmm. And basically it was the really, really tough, rough brassicas. And it's hard to find this stuff because you don't really get them in English supermarkets. But the cabbage, cabbage greens, um, or mustard greens if you can get them, mm. and they've got that really stronger brassica-y, mustard-y flavour that you get with kind of old broccoli. Yeah. So you take the stems out because they're really hard. You chop it up and you put it with stock, mm. preferably ham stock, and you boil it, and you boil it, and you boil it, until it becomes like a very, 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 almost like wet latex kind of texture to it. Oh, gosh. And then you add vinegar, chili vinegar, basically, is the thing, is the main thing that goes back to it. And what you get is all of the strength and punch of the brassicas in there. It's been cooked to a point you can actually digest it and eat it. Mm. And then the very, very slight sort of fatty oiliness is cut back by this vinegary thing. It's actually a really sophisticated element. Mm. It's almost as if you took sprouts, or maybe some, maybe, no, maybe if you took, if you took Cavalo Nero and cooked it to the point where it really starts to be quite soft and delicate and gentle mm. to eat, and then tossed it in a very, very slight vinaigrette dressing, whilst it was still hot. It's, again, I'm sad, yeah, it yeah, sounds it's delicious. really good, really, really good. Wow. Or oh, I also discovered some, I forgot, I can't pronounce the name of it now, it's an Italian thing from up in the Aosta, in the mountains there. And that's um, stale sourdough. You got a big pot, put a layer of stale sourdough, a layer of steamed Cabernet Nero, a layer of serrano, uh, of, uh, of Parma ham, cheap Parma ham, and then you create Fontina cheese all over it, and then you do it again and again and again, three or four layers. Mm. And then you pour a pint of beef stock into the top. And it's like savoury bread pudding. Lord. And yes. you, you, you have it up in the mountains after you've got all your sheep in for the winter. And you go over to the armchair, you get yourself a bottle of grappa, you eat one plate of this stuff, and you fall asleep till August. <laughs> and, it's, and you don't die because your body will live off it for um, <laughs> oh, Again, absolutely delicious. There's so much. Yeah, this yeah. is so good. Um, Val, Val Polinensa. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> 
Are you a Christmas? Do you like Christmas cake? Is that something? I thought you were going to say you're Christian. <laughs> no, we're not going there. Bit late the conversation for that yeah. month. <laughs> we'll leave that one. That's that's for that's for another time. Um, yeah, Christmas cake, panettone. Panettone is the devil's vomit. Oh, really? Not a fan. Absolutely. And this, so this comes up on the radio program every year. Oh, I'm not a huge fan. If I'm I've honest. got three or four panettones. What should I do with them? <laughs> Any suggestions? Bread pudding. <laughs> bread and butter pudding, panettone. Other than that. Throw it away. I'm or not a big fan. keep it in a cupboard and give it to somebody else. Yeah. It's just got absolutely nothing going for it at all. Apart from the fact that Terence Conran thought they looked really, really good hanging from the rafters of the Conran shop and we all bought it. The sensible ones wow. of us bought it once yeah. and never bought it again. The fish soup he used to bring over in jars, that stuff was good yeah. and you'd still get it. And now we're trying to sell it. But no, Panettone, ah. Leo loves it. That's his favourite thing at Christmas. And I'm not. I will easily not eat any of it. I, I, I think it's one of those things when you, when you start realising that everybody who talks about it enthusiastically is doing something with it. So it makes really good pampadu. Yeah. Only it would be better if it didn't have the candied fruit in it. Yeah, so see, I'm getting, but bread this, I, think, I think this is why I'm not a fan because I don't like those elements of it. I don't like the mm. really chewy and... I do like a Christmas cake. Do you know what I watched recently? This... I remember saying this out loud on <laughs> I watched on YouTube Delia's Christmas Ooh. 1992. Yeah. I was feeling a bit poorly, yeah. it was a comfort mm. to me. And I laid in bed and I was watching, and she did this hot one of the, one of the episodes is all about different Christmas cakes. Mm. And she go and i and it was brilliant. And she had this Creole one and all the bo- different booze that goes in it. And then she had another one, another one. And I would generally say, oh, I don't like Christmas cake. Because, again, my grandmother would make them. We'd go to my grandmother's in the summer. Mm. And you'd open the drawers in the spare room. There'd be Christmas cakes everywhere. Where she'd mm. be, and been feeding them. And, mm. and hers were quite dark. And, I, and as a child, I just didn't like them. Really didn't like them. But a light, a nice, light, fruity Christmas cake, I'm now on board with. With a bit of cheese. Like, I love that kind of, that combo. It's, but it needs yeah. to be like more like Dundee cake maybe than actual Christmas cake. It's an interesting one. When we took over Fitzbillies, um, we arrived, the place was, it was pretty much derelict inside, so it'd been left for months mm. after bankruptcy. And we found this, um, this big steel safe at the back of the kitchen. And we couldn't work out what it was. It looked like an old fridge mm. and it had a lock on the door. It was on wheels and it was made of galvanised steel, but thick, uh, like a gun cabinet or something. I couldn't work out what it was. We ended up taking an angle grudge to get the lock off it. And we got inside and it was the only surviving thing. It was 20 trays of Christmas cake. And they put it in the cake safe and they feed it for the year. Wow. And it was, we couldn't serve it because we, we didn't, we weren't able to say that it hadn't, you know, in the, in time, the, the three months mm. in there, it hadn't been touched by anything, mm. any other creature or anything. But it was the most delicious thing ever. But I think I really like the... Fortunately, if you give a slice of Christmas cake at our house, Liberty eats the icing, and it's the marzipan. Yeah. So I'm fine with what's left. Yeah. <laughs> I like that bit. Mm. In the same way as I like Italian panforte, it's, uh, it's a really, really concentrated, really concentrated, dark, fruity thing. It's, that's lovely. Um, but the best thing I've ever seen done with it was a, a diner I worked in in San Francisco for a couple of weeks over Christmas and I think that one of the cooks was Scottish and his mum had sent him a bar of the cheapest, crappiest Christmas cake available in Glasgow and he brought it in and it was close to Christmas and we weren't, there was, you know, we weren't close to our families or anything else, we were all far away and so we stayed in late and we cooked and he cut it into slices 
and we fried it on the griddle in butter. Oh my god. And then melt, and mel- melted burger cheese on top. It was lovely. Wow, again, <laughs> adds to list. Adds to list. Um, in, in each cheese. That's incredible. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard that, and I probably won't ever hear that again. So that's amazing. Which takes me nicely on to. We, I've been seeing this a lot. You kind of on Instagram, like you follow some accounts and of, of like you know Waitrose or Audi or whoever, and there's this real kind of surge of these slightly crazy Christmas combination foods. So I think the last one I saw was Chocker Mocker Wensleydale. Yeah. What are your thoughts on those kind of? Crazy Christmas kind of. Well, the devil's vomit. <laughs> I, mean, I asked it. I actually knew. I kind of felt like I knew I, what you were going to say. It's it's been interesting this year, and I. One of the things I do most years in in some form or other is get involved in trend forecasting for trend agencies, and you'd like to think, wouldn't you, that trend agencies were actually places where they. Um, did loads of research into by interviewing people and finding out what people wanted and what was what the new developments were and everything else. What they actually do is get panels of journalists in because we spend our time looking at this stuff so they don't have to. And so we get them to interview by all kinds of agencies. And I, I, I wonder where trends like this spring up. It's, it's mad. It, I feel it's like particularly this year. Yeah. And I, I think partly there's been a, the product development teams have had a lot of free time. I think there's been a very, very strong belief that this was going to be a very, very important Christmas mm-hmm. for the, and this is back to a point we were talking about earlier, mm. the huge number of food manufacturing mm. companies that are in the UK, actually the small number of very large food manufacturing companies, mm. they've got to add value to ingredients and they need the money, they, they've, they've got to get money back, they've, you know, they're, they're in trouble too and the way they do that is innovation. Mm. Um, often it's innovation we don't want, often it's innovation that's probably never going to go anywhere um yeah it just seems a bit mad to me i, mean, I, I would you know I, I would never buy these things they may taste incredible but i just to me it's just faddy and it's just making people spend money on like kind of almost unnecessarily yeah i i, I don't think the items themselves cause the problem i don't think anybody's going to be starving their children because they're buying chocolate wednesday down I think more to, the, more to the point, I think it's part of the way the news cycle works this time of the year. Mm. I mean, I'm getting, I don't have my laptop with me at the moment, I get 20, 30 press releases most mornings, building up to Christmas. Is over of just new products coming out or Christmas or festivals. Well, it's just people are trying really, really desperately to get your attention. And yeah. I know a lot of PRs, a lot of them are my friends, mm. and their eyes are just glazed at this time of the year from mm. the shell shock. Because you know somebody will phone them up and say, "No, we've got this great idea. You know, it's going to be a, uh, a, a I don't know, holly scented underarm deodorant. <laughs> it's going to it's going to disrupt the deodorant market." And, and they're like, uh, "Okay." And they're a release, fair enough. You know, in your Christmas roundups, perhaps you might want to consider holly flavored underarm yeah. And if they thought about it a bit, they'll probably give you a jokey headline. Mm. But it's invariably just shit. Yeah. And it's tragic. It mm. really is tragic. Um, but. There are certain mechanics about how the way the way they work, particularly in a country like ours, where everything is about the supermarkets. Mm, mm. So a couple of years ago, the big Christmas push was on Heston Blumenthal's meat fruit. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. which mysteriously appeared on his TV program, and then mysteriously was available in Waitrose, uh, Waitrose mm. where 
incidentally, they had about eight of them and you couldn't find one anywhere. Of course. Until suddenly they started appearing in February later in the year, the ones that they hadn't sold and the two branches they put them in. It was really weird. Yeah. But everybody was talking about the meat fruit. Yeah. Actually, it was delicious. It was absolutely bloody gorgeous. Sometimes he plays an absolute blind at that point. Well, I feel was. like he's had, he had an, another thing. Again, there was another year that Heston Ooh. had something out of wagers. And again, yeah. that was huge. Yeah. Maybe it was the whole orange in a um, pudding yeah. thing. But you this, know. Oh, it's yeah, the orange this, yeah. Yeah. pudding. Yeah. But, but those, those things also sell out immediately. Mm. Um, and, but they've got you into the supermarket. That's why they've got you talking yeah, about that course. supermarket. Yeah, yeah. Innovation. It's a really interesting thing. I'm uh, working on something around um, uh, influencers. Mm. And by far the most influential person in food in the last two years uh, is actually a woman, nobody remembers her name, she was a Finnish girl. uh, And she invented or was the first to post the feta pasta thing. Okay. Which lasted about six days tops. But everyone was talking about it. It was on all the news programs, mm. it was in all the newspapers, all the magazines. It was a slow news week. Everyone was desperate. It was all over the world. Mm. Everyone was doing it. Feta sold out in every supermarket in two days. Mm. And I called a mate of mine who works at one of the big agencies. He's a head of planning. And we had a chat about it because I wanted it for a piece. He said, it's really interesting. He said, the problem is it's like the butterfly effect. You know, you can look at a storm in China. Mm. And you can trace it back mathematically. We now have the computers to a butterfly wing fluttering in Belgium. Mm. What you can't do and will never be able to do is say, okay, let's go to Belgium and flutter a butterfly wing and it's going to cause a storm in China. That's the effect. Yes. A one way system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem we've got is that, yes, that woman shifted more people's minds about something than any advert that's ever been done ever Mm. or any attempt to sell any product. The feta manufacturers hated it, by the way because for four days they couldn't get enough feta into the supermarkets. For six months afterwards, oh, I'm not buying a fucking feta. Mm-hmm. It's horrible, that, well, that Finnish girl put on her pasta. <laughs> was it? Oh, oh, awful stuff. It it's rubbish for business. Yeah. Advertising agencies like to think they're on top of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, in, and influencers are selling that influence to companies who are desperate. It's tremendous. This is the good of the feta thing. Yeah. We'll give her half a million quid, but you can't do it for many years because you never do it again. Yeah. Um, and that's the that's the problem we have. It's kind of this one way pack on the. And so I think with the one thing you can do is get yourself talked about over an intense period like Christmas. Mm. And I, you know, the meat fruit really did make me think. Just at one point, actually, you know what? I might not bother making pate. If I get my hands on a couple of those, you know, mm. just as a job. Actually, you know what? They've got a whole range of really good. Starters, mm. so actually, I'll do the party plate there. It's, it's like a it's middle class Iceland. Yeah. I said, can, can you grab me Pellegrino when you're up at the counter? She said, Oh, what you mean? You mean Tory Fanta? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, it is. I love that. I've heard that one before for sure. But it's interesting, isn't it, with these influencers and what you were saying now, wacky and wonderful things out and people are going to go and buy and spend more money in these places and what have you and of course you think back to again my my reference again to Delia in 1992 was the cranberry thing wasn't it so her making the cram with the fresh cranberries and I was only about I was 12 and I remember I remember that as well and that was like that was a television her show wasn't it It caused this hoo-ha 
with the least well, they, um, they, the, the agencies still refer to it as the Delia effect, even yeah. though Delia is no longer with us. Yeah. Well, at least mentally no longer with us. But. <laughs> 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 it's like, well, she's died. Um, no. <laughs> but that is, it's like, yeah, it's kind of, I remember that as being the big, like, before mm. all this social media, all these things, that was huge, mm. all the cranberry thing, wasn't it? And it yeah. was mocked. I think even French and Saunders yeah. were like, mocked, like, the whole yeah. thing was, it was, yeah, it's. It was crazy. Um, right, we're going to get to the question that we're all here for. Well, I'm not just saying that. No. <laughs> but what, what we want to talk about burgers. Oh right, yes, yes, definitely. So we've had the Christmas food and now burgers. So, what was the best burger you've ever had? Where was it? What was in it? It's it's a really really tough one. This, I mean. I remember when I was in my first year at art college and I dated a girl whose sister lived in London and she said one day, why don't you guys come up and stay in London with me, I'll drive you up. And she drove us up in her Golf GTI nice. convertible yep. and we took the top down as we were driving through London and it was, it was full of, I, I had rarely come to London before that time. And it's the lights were glittering and everything else. And Christopher Biggins pulled up next to us as a traffic lights. Oh, wow. And said flirty things. I was quite, I was quite, quite baffled by the whole thing. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's and then we went to Peppermint Park. Okay. Peppermint Park was just off Oxford Street. And it was a kind of an early American-themed diner thing. And I had a burger there. And I'd never had a burger outside of a wimpy really mm-hmm, yeah. well, my mum made beef burgers at home sometimes those are quite nice but she put lots of onion and chopped onion yes, in yes yeah. of course what you'd now call a smash burger I suppose she, I think she'd even bound it with an egg on occasion they were pretty rough um, but that, that to me was a, 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 a memorable one a real revelation but I think for burgers they just go so go through my life there are thousands of them that are important and they're all significant and the next one's really significant because mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't buy what I didn't like or want. I wasn't. I don't do it for no reason. Um, there's logic to your burger buying. Yeah, I, I just, mm. Yeah. Well, it's it's not it's not on my it's not on my home repertoire. Mm-hmm. So it's not. Hey, it's Thursday, it's kids. Let's do burgers. Because yeah. we've gone past that stage with Liv now. Yeah. So they weren't they weren't proper. So if I'm having one, I'm having one for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly late at night in the car coming back from a gig. And it's like three in the morning, and I'm going to do the long drive back. Mm. Uh, McDonald's in the car mm. is very much appreciated. Yes. It's a lovely thing, it's of its place. Um, I remember some, when the Gourmet Burger Company first opened, I remember writing a whole piece about this has got to stop. It's just absurd. And I remember saying that, that you, had, like, you could eat this burger, but you had to approach it like Luke Skywalker attacking the Death Star. You had to go underneath, find a fish, a fish, and find the weak part and work your way into it. <laughs> and by which time it would be all over your face and down your chest. Or you could only hinge the top part of your head. And then, but it was stupid. Yeah. It was really, really stupid. And then I went to the early meat lickers and they mm. were fantastic. Mm. They were really good. Yeah. But there's a burger of. I had lots of burgers in diners in the States and loved them. I really, really have a soft spot for a patty melt. Okay. Which is kind of really, really the the bones of a burger at its very best. 
Have you, you've had one before? No, no, no. So Patty Melt is, everything on a diner line has got a reason it's evolved to be there. So most of the things that are a little bit weird and a little bit odd are actually made from the en place. And I worked in diners, loads of them, when I first moved to the States because it was the only illegal work I could get because I wasn't married to my then wife. And we were driving across and backwards and forwards around the south. So it was always, you'd get in the local town, you find yourself a place to stay and you go work at the local diner. My wife was a waitress and she you know, roller skated and all that sort of nonsense. Love it. It was great. Yeah. So, and, I used to, and they all had their own specialities, but you know, the chilli burger is there because there's always a pot of chilli. The pot of chilli is there because there's always a hot soup pot. And when you don't have soup in it, those times of the year, you put chilli in it instead. And the dip sandwich is there mm -hmm. because you buy your, what they call au jus, which is canned beef juice which you, know, you have for juicing, that's available and you have that and that's there. Um, and the chili mac, which is, you know, they, they automatically come from the stuff that's there. But the, pat, the patty melt is effectively, you, you, you take a, a, a big patty yeah. of the meat or a smashed patty if you can do it that way, mm -hmm. you squish it flat, and then you put cheese on it and the caramelized onions on it, you put it between two slices of bread, mm -hmm. uh, and then you paint the outside with mayo and then flip it on the griddle. And so it's a, it's a beef toasted sandwich. The meat's steamed, so it's cooked all the way through. You don't have a rabbit in the middle, mm. but you really don't want that with dynamites because mm. that's not what it's for. It, does, it mustn't be rare. You've got the steaming in the bread, but you've also got this crisp exterior, the cheese oil, because the burger cheese has got a lot of oil mm. and a lot more fry out into the bread. But the layer of bread on the outside of the patty is actually almost crisp ready in texture because you can go into it and you're pushing it with the side of the end. So that's, that to me is kind of, that's got all the bones of all the good stuff in a really, really, really good burger. It's got to have American cheese. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, you know, you know the, the, the rules about American cheese. So if you have a certain quantity of cheese in it, you can call it cheese product. Once the percentage drops below a certain level, it's cheese-like product. Then there's another one that's like cheese food and cheese food product. And I think by the time you get that cheese food product, which is also the one that they put in uh, food parcels for you know, for, the, for welfare in the States, mm. uh, it's got something like 4% of any kind of thing that's like a cheese in it. Yeah. But I wouldn't put any ketchup, I wouldn't put ketchup on a burger, but I wouldn't put any ketchup on anything that wasn't a Heinz ketchup, because why would you do anything that wasn't that? It's just, it's what it is. Yeah. It's sweet generous. Yeah. So... I don't think of burger cheese as cheese. Mm. I think burger cheese, like French's mustard, is a condiment that goes on. It just happens when it comes in sheets and melts. Mm -hmm. So I think burger cheese is an all. Is a, certainly, I'm really pleased to put it on Scandinavian style hot dogs, for example. I think it's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. It adds really mouthfeel, a lovely glottometer to it. And it's got yes. that slightly honking. But yeah, yeah. Back of the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when and you then, said that, I was like, I can feel it. Yeah, yeah. there'll be a name for it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's um, when you're making products with cheap fats in them that may be served not hot. Yes. What you don't want is a gigantic puck of solid fat in it. The Ginster's pasty is the classic example. Mm -hmm. So if you made a pasty with meat that cheap and you let it go cold, the fat would float up inside and you'd have a brick of white, cheap, shit fat underneath mm. the top of the pasty. That sounds awful. So you emulsify it. You mm. emulsify it by whipping the fat up with, I think it's less than that does it. But what it basically does is forms the fat into tiny balls within the sauce. Mm. So when you eat it and it's warm, you get a lovely mouthfeel. If it's slightly cold, you actually get pellets, tiny sand grains of solid fat. Mm. Or rub against the roof of your mouth and stick. 
Like and peanut butter. Yeah, you almost want to get your finger there and yes, then take it down yeah. out of the top of your pan. Good stuff. Good stuff. Happy days. Yeah. So but that yeah, you know, that's you've got yeah. But there is a there's a bur- there's a burger in my mind mm-hmm. that I've never achieved yet. But it's probably oh. because it's a, it's on its time and place. Um, like every other sixteen-year-old boy, I read Jack Kerouac and loved him, and it was one of the reasons I was so pleased when I met an American and moved over there and moved in with her. You know, with the, a, lot, a lot of those on-the-road fantasies sort mm-hmm. of came true for me. But there's one story called Desolate, one book called Desolation Angels, where he basically he takes a summer job with the forestry service over there as a fire watcher. And fire watchers hike in to the forest for two days and they climb up this wooden tower. And there's a hut on top of the tower with a camp bed in it and uh, a table in the middle with compass points marked on it and a telescope. And all day you stay up there and you watch through the telescope around for smoke. And if you see smoke, you telephone or radio to the fire headquarters where you spotted it or what bearing. And then somebody else in one of the other towers check it and you can isolate where in the forest the fire is and the fire brigade will go there and try and find it out. So it was a lot of sort of slack young artists for going to it because your kids sit up there. I mean, as far as I know they just ate pot noodles and wanked like students yeah. everywhere in the world what they do. Yeah. <laughs> or they wrote you know great poetry or came to terms with the, the, the great challenges of life or or uh, whatever it was that philosophy he was Zen philosophy he was practicing. But there's this lovely description when he when he knows he's going up the mountain he hitchhikes into town the nearest town at the bottom and he goes to a white castle and he buys two sacks of burgers. Mm-hmm. And these are the commodity burgers. You know it and I know it. And it's the white bread, simple soft roll, mm. single patty in mm-hmm. it, no cheese. He asks for them with no onions, no cheese, no nothing. Just the steamed burger in there. And he's buying them in blocks of 10. And he buys two, three bags of these, puts them in the bottom of his backpack, hikes in, and then those will keep him going for 30 days. And it's <laughs> just that, that is a kind of zen purity of burger about that. Mm. There's a bloke called Josh Osursky, he died sadly two years ago, he's an American writer, very, very good. And he did a social history of the burger that I would love to have written. Mm. Sadly, he got there first. I think the, the technology of the burger is fascinating because you know that cheap meat tastes better but it's not juicy and it's difficult to chew. Mm-hmm. So the patty is the perfect way of pre-chewing that meat for you. Mm. So you can take the cheapest meat and make it the tastiest with what you've got. You can add salt to it, that will increase the quality of mm. it. You need somewhere of eating with hands, because this is the old Ray Kroc story about how they reduced the price of McDonald's by doing away with the waitresses, because there's no cutlery, no crockery. So you've got to have the bread, but the bread can't be hard. Mm. It's got to have a certain degree of absorbency to it. The cheese, the evolved cheese product, they could have come up with a much better cheap craft cheese in America than burger cheese if they mm. wanted to 70 years ago, but they didn't because burger cheese is perfect for what it does. Mm. Ketchup is the perfect combination with that, although mm. better is chopped sauce, which is the ketchup and the mustard and the pickles and the onions chopped very, very fine. Mm-hmm. And that is basically exactly what McDonald's Big Mac pink sauce is, uh. what Dino Chefs call chopped sauce. Caramelised onions, the cheapest way to bring sweetness and caramelised I onions. I do, I love caramelised onions in a And then actually. just, it comes together. And then mm. you have it coming to an America 
that's having the road network for the first time. Post-war, there are, there are traveling salesmen going all over the country. They need a place to eat something. They need something that's consistent. Mm. You start seeing the uh, Norman Rockwell pictures of the guys, you know, the big fat-ass cop sitting on the stool at the mm-hmm. diner counter. The diner model's already there. You know, those places, people always think diners are, are burgers and fries and roller skating waitresses. They're not. They're usually owned by Greek or uh, Portuguese families who immigrated the States, they set these places up on tick. Mm. The diner was designed so it fitted on a railway carriage so it could be shipped from Detroit where it was being made post-war mm-hmm. because they had spare metal. These things came as a unit. You bought them on a lease system. The product, the product manufacturing line was based on Henry Ford and the burger is the thing you make, the food product that comes out of it and of the cheapest inputs that's going to delight the maximum mm. number of people. Mm. Nobody doesn't like a burger. Mm. And it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and it's made to be perfect. Mm. So actually, I love some of the variations, but the real breakthrough with meat liquor mm. was they got back to that thing. Yeah. I probably will never get the bag of tail in my backpack, you know, hiking up the mountain, and they probably taste shit if I did. But yeah. the notion of what it's there for and yeah. why it is and the Americana around it yes. and its value, social value, that's, the, that's where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that, that's a, damn, that's a thing. Yeah, I, I think we, I had a burger recently and I usually, I don't eat a lot of them. Um, and I just had bun patty, mm. American cheese, ketchup and mustard. Mm. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And I sat in my car with my friend and I had had one for ages, and I ate it in about three seconds, yeah. and felt slightly sick, mm. but it was gorgeous. Yeah. And yeah. and actually now, I probably wouldn't have the red. I'm not a fan of red onion burgers anyway, but the garnish it works yeah. and it's there, and it's fresh and it's nice. But at, this is exactly what you were saying at that point that this burger, the simplicity of it, just hit the spot. It was incredible. All, there's, there's, there are explanations for all the garnishes and the sizes of them and the weightings yeah. and the, and the flat, but that's all just semiotics. Yeah. Actually, the most, I mean, pretty much anywhere you go, the best foods are always a combination of meat, fat, carbs, salt, a bit of sweet, mm. and, 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 and most cultures have something based on mince or cut up, very yeah. refined meat. You know, I just, but I just. I think the burger is the most perfectly evolved food we have. Mm. You know, there's it's no mistake that they make one that you that you can get on on Skylab on mm. the International Space Station. Mm. You know, they, they they it's just yeah, and and because we've had it all of our this sort of bringing it all round in a great circle. Because we've had it all our lives, it's also probably the one thing in most people's lives that they can attach the most happy memories to these days. Yeah. You know, really, you really can. Your first happy memories were probably, I remember Wimpy's when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I just remember Wimpy's. They were kind of yeah. phasing out, when I, but I yeah. just remember them being mm. slightly posher than McDonald's. Yeah. Because you got plates, didn't you? Mm. And exactly that. Exactly. As soon as they were British. Yeah. <laughs> slightly, you know, just, just elevated it just slightly. Yes. Although, I, do, I, I have one day, I found a really, really good supplier for hot dogs. Uh, they, they sort of shipped them up to me here. But the, um, I want to reinvent the Wimpy Bender. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, I do. Yeah, Ram a tomato. Yeah, was that yeah, the one which was cut? Yeah, you cut yeah, it and the then yeah, it went round. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a really bad frankfurter, but I'm pretty sure. I love really those though. Yeah. I love really bad frankfurters. I'm just a fan. I'm, 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 I'm very hot on the. Um, I, I did a story up in uh, 
with a photo line that's uh, a few years ago, and that's a long, long flight up above the Arctic Circle. Mm. But you, you go through progressively smaller and smaller planes as you hop each island going up. And flying back, I was exhausted, very, very hungover, and uh, flew into one small airport, and they had the Paulson stands. Uh, Paulson's are they hot dogs. Mm. Uh, they're, they're bright red because they used to be made of cheap meat. The butchers were allowed to sell yesterday's sausages onto the stands outside. They had to dye them red. So by tradition, their sausages are this red. Oh, okay. Saddle. So they knew they were yeah. like the, the day, yeah. a day later. Yeah. This is, that's the that's the Savoy colour we have in the UK. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, but they have the weirdest toppings. They have um, brilliant Scandinavian pickles and dry fried crisp onions. Um, yes. There's, yeah, yeah. They have something called remoulade, which is the closest you can get to it is if you mince piccadilly very, very fine yeah. and then cut it half and half with mayonnaise. That's that sounds amazing nice. Yeah. But the one that blows everybody's mind is um, burger cheese yeah. and then prawn cocktail on the side. Not I, prawn cocktail I, sauce, prawn cocktail sauce with prawns in it. What? Yes! It's bloody lovely. Oh my god! It's absolutely bloody. I like lovely. both of those things <laughs> separately. Separately. <laughs> Together at last. Oh honestly. my god! Oh my god! Surf and turf, nearly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tim, for coming and chatting. Um, and um, yeah, thanks for your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. Um, it's been amazing to catch up. Um, and have a lovely Christmas. I will, and have a Christmas to you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Tim. Thanks so much for listening. Merry Christmas. Have a great time over the holidays. Have a fabulous new year. And I will catch you in 2022 for more Burger Bands. Burger Bands.